The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gobby and welcome to What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. We got a little bit of a facelift. If you're new here, I'm Gobby. I'm the founder of What's Gobby Cooking, a best-selling author and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild, which is the latest version of my podcast, is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry and more. I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people and highlighting super cool small companies from the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Hi, guys. Happy Monday. I am so excited for today's podcast guest. You might know her from Top Chef. You might know her from The Chew, her best-selling cookbooks. She has a new podcast out. Carla Hall is here, and we get into it. We are talking food. We are talking TV shows. We are talking love languages because we just found out. Well, I'm going to wait for you to hear. But basically, we've decided to be best friends, and I'm really looking forward to spending time together in the future in real life. But if you don't follow Carla, you will by the time this is over. She's a gem. So here we go. Hi, Carla. How are you? Gabby, thank you. I am so excited to talk to you today. I have been a mega fan since the Top Chef days, but I want you to take us back before that. For people who are listening to my podcast who don't know you, who obviously have been living under a rock, how did you get started in the food world? And like you have a podcast, you have books, you have all these things. We're going to get into it, but like lay the land for us on how it all started. Yeah. A lot of people will be surprised that I actually didn't grow up cooking. I didn't want to cook. I loved eating. I was that kid who would get a bag of oranges and just eat them all and then suffer the wrath of being itchy. That was me. And I loved my grandmother's food. We did Sunday suppers. But when she said, Carla, can you go out and pick the greens? I'm like, I don't want to pick any greens. I want to eat the greens. And so I remember she had asked me, but so she wouldn't ask me again, we're at the table. And I'm like, by the way, you all may be eating weeds right now because I didn't know how to pick greens. Not thinking that my grandmother could tell the difference between a weed and, a, and like collard greens, right? So that's how interested in cooking I was not. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I, I. So I didn't start cooking when I was working at a, an accounting firm. And I had some friends come over. Obviously, I was living on my own and I had to cook for myself. And outside of the cinnamon toast and Polish kielbasa and like hard eggs, but I would try to make tomato soup. And I had these friends come over. Gabby, I used three cans of tomato paste to make a (laughs) tomato soup. Needless to say, it was not delicious. And they said, how about we go out to eat? Now, I was, at the time, I was like 22, 23. So then I left accounting and I found myself in Europe. And I was hanging out with a bunch of models and we had Sunday supper again and everybody was cooking and they were talking about how their mother did it or whatever the recipe was. And I realized I had no idea. I mean, I had spent so much time waiting for the food to be done. I wasn't in the kitchen, which is a surprise for a lot of people. 
because they think, oh, you've been, we were with your mom or your dad or your grandmother under their, uh, at, the, at their apron string. I'm like, no, I wasn't. And, and so I, I'm a little competitive and I, and I honestly couldn't stand the fact that all of these people are like adding to this conversation that I had no input. I had no idea. So I started buying cookbooks at the American bookstore and I was in Paris at the time. And, and then I just started making soups and quick breads and they weren't that great, but I realized that I did need a recipe. I couldn't, you know, just go off on my own. And I started cooking as a form of gratitude for people allowing me to stay on their couch. And I just kept doing it. I was like, oh, wow, this is getting really great. And I was getting, you know, a few compliments versus saying, let's go out to eat. And so I just kept doing it. So that's really how I started cooking. I mean, I feel like cooking and expressing your love via food is such a big thing for chefs and cooks and just moms or who are grandmas. Like it just is the easiest way to show someone that you care about them and bring people to the table. That's right. Absolutely. And I think that it is my form of nurturing people to cook for people. And I think it's the ultimate equalizer, just that place of it's an honor to cook for people. And, and, you know, if somebody will is ingesting the thing that I am making for them, they trust me. Right. I was, you know, I talk about cooking with love and when, when somebody's put, putting some bad mojo in your food and you get sick and you think it's the fish or the meat or the cheese or the eggs. No, it's their bad mojo. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I will tell you all about that. I feel like during this whole pandemic, have you been able, like, I haven't been able to cook for as many people as I would like to. And it makes me so sad because normally, you know, we would be having a huge Friendsgiving in a couple of weeks and I'd be having people around my table. And it's, it's just not the same, just cooking for like myself or my husband or like, you know, like we're, we're boring. Like I want other people around my table. Have you found, I mean, have you been able to see some friends and at least entertain in small groups or what's your vibe on the whole situation? Well, you know, First of all, I've seen more of my neighbors out on their porches than ever. That I love seeing people out because nobody was was doing other things. They were staying close to home. So I've gotten to know my neighbors and, you know, shouting over the fence or shouting across the street. And in doing a lot of these cooking demos and just content, period, that I've had to do and, and just make copious amounts of food. I'm not making them for my immediate friends, but this has become a thing that my neighbors look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Good so neighbor. <laughs> I call them and I'm like, Hey, I made such and such. And, and I do a rotation. My neighbors across the street, it's your turn. So here's this and my neighbors next door. And so that's what I've been doing. So I, I feel like I've had that sort of neighborly nurturing outlets through food that I've prepared that I'm giving away. That's incredible. And it almost takes you back to like the old school days of block parties and like when people actually like hung out in their neighborhoods and stuff like that. I think that's so cool. So fast forward, did you work in restaurants or anything before you went onto TV? Like how did you make that transition eventually? So I, I went to culinary school at 30 and then I had to do an internship. I had that lunch delivery service, but from a four fluke for, so I did that for five years where I was making sandwiches and salads and quick breads and biscuits. And I would do a special 
hot meal every Friday. So I did that for five years. And then I went to culinary school at, at 30. And then from there, because you have to do an internship, I worked in a restaurant. So I, I worked in restaurants for two years. And then I worked at a private social club. And then I went back to catering with a friend. And, and so that was sort of my professional journey before I went to Top Chef. So, and, and putting things into perspective, I went to culinary school at 30 and I was on Top Chef for the first time, season five at 44. So that's 14 years that I had been working. And then five years before that, that I had sort of taught myself and I had a lunch delivery service. So like 19 years before you saw me on Top Chef. Hi, I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. We're the co-host of a podcast called A Thing or Two. It comes out every Monday and the basic premise is this. We share all the stuff we think more people should know about. So that's apps, recipes, books, the nationwide haagen vanilla bean shortage that nobody else was talking about. Our no per- one. No one. <laughs> our preferred vacuum brands, of which we have multiples, and critical explorations of our unique approaches to paper towel usage. Listen, we think you're going to like it. A lot of people do. And who's to say you'll be any different? Listen and subscribe wherever it is you listen and subscribe to podcasts. Yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't happen overnight. I think so many people go out looking to be on Top Chef or Food Network or whatever it is. And they just want to like do it right off the bat. That's what I wanted to do when I graduated college. And then I was like, I have no business being on here as a 21 year old. What? I don't even know how to make macaroni and cheese. Like it's incredible how much work goes into like cultivating your brand and your palate before, you know, you go on a show like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really glad that you talked about the palate because a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the education is through just eating different things and and sort of training your palate just like if you want to if you drink wine you have to drink a lot of different wine to understand the language of wine i mean i don't drink but i understand like the the flavors and and, and how that process would happen so there and there's so many even training your palate like why you like what you like and why you don't like what you don't like and and I tell you what really honed that for me is being a judge on some of these cooking shows. I could eat something that I don't like, but I can't judge it like I don't like it. I know why I don't like it, which means that I have to set my personal opinion about that thing aside. I don't like liver, but I can absolutely judge somebody making liver. I know that it shouldn't be well done. It tastes like sawdust. So, and I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I know it should be succulent. I know it's like tick, tick in the pan. And That's so, hard. It's a tall order to fill. Like you have to really put two sides of your brain, like one side of your brain has to go away for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But, but you, I owe that to whomever is cooking this thing. And I take it very seriously. And because I've been a contestant on the other side, I, I feel that I owe them to actually eat the food and I owe them to, to give them constructive critiques without my personal judgment about that ingredient. Well, that's what makes you an incredible judge because you can look at it from such a matter of fact perspective. What's something that would surprise people who are diehard food TV watchers that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, someone doesn't think of, you know, when you're doing TV? I I think one and honestly, I'm living through this during the pandemic and having to do a lot of my own content how much work and setup and how much culinary support 
is behind every show. And I think those are the people, those are the unsung heroes that you don't see. Even those little packages of herbs that have like, you know, when the, when the contestants are grabbing these things, little packages of herbs that have, and then a little baggie with a paper towel and then the herbs so you can see them. And then the name of the herb, there is somebody behind the scenes doing that. There is somebody behind the scenes stocking up all of those ingredients. Whenever you see a chock full of ingredients that on those quick fires, there is somebody who is behind the scenes creating all of that food and then pulling it back and putting it away. Every time you see those bakers or whomever and they're cooking and dishes are everywhere, there is somebody behind the scenes actually cleaning that up and turning it around so when you come back for judging, it's all clear and clean. So I think those are the unsung heroes for a lot of these cooking shows. Yeah, it's incredible how much goes into it. Like when I go on and do a show, even like a like a daytime talk show or something like that, the culinary producers on those are they miss it out step by step. And it's, it, I mean, honestly, I would love to cook like that every day. It's so, so much easier, but right? it's incredible how you can, they have the foresight to think through the entire recipe. You're going to be talking to a host. You're very distracted. Like there's so much going on and they make it so seamless. They are truly heroes. Oh, 100%, 100%. And they have to think through the steps. Like, okay, you're going to be here. And then you're not going to fry that all the way. So we have one that's halfway fried. And the next setup, you just have to turn it over. And then you have to add your other ingredients. And then you're going to go to the third one. And that's going to be your finish. And, you know, and all of those things. So there's somebody who's thinking through that. So when I was doing this content stuff myself, and I'm doing something for GMA at home, and I have to do this video, I have to think like that. So there's nobody to do it for me. And, and then, so that means I have to make three times as much as I would normally make. So the video is three minutes. It takes me an hour, but I have to, unless I want to stop every time, I have to think through those steps. So I appreciate, that's why I'm like, they're the ones that I appreciate. That's the behind the scenes because um, I've been doing and wearing all of those hats. Yeah. Let's talk about all the content you've been creating in the last, I don't I mean, how long have we been in pan, like a year and a half at this point? I'm oh my God. Sorry. I think five years we've been, I think it's been five years, girl. I don't know. But you're <laughs> producing so much incredible content from cooking your workout stuff. Was that like a full pivot for you at the beginning of this or were you already doing some of it? Like how did that? No, transpire? that all happened during this time. And you know, everybody was asking, Carla, do demos. Do I'm like, that's a lot of work. Who's going to do the dishes? That's the practical side of it. It's just me doing the dishes. I don't want to do the dishes. Michael Simon was making it hard for all chefs all over the country, cooking every day, 30 days straight. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I am not Michael Simon. You're making everyone <laughs> look bad, man. <laughs> You're making everybody look bad. And so I even said, and I never even put it out. I said, if I do anything about food, I'm going to do something called pimp my cereal. I'm going to grab a box of cereal. I'm going to get some milk, maybe stir some malted milk powder in there. I mean, and funnily enough, Bobby, I did do, I did a recipe and I said, I'm going to do this whole pimp my cereal thing. I'm going to pimp my bowl out with a chain. I know I was really literally thinking, because I'm not going to be searing and cooking and having a bunch of dishes. 
But if I just have a sheet pan and a bowl, I'm good with that, right? So I decided to take brand cereal, plain brand cereal, because I was eating some raisin bran. I'm trying to like raisin bran. I'm like, it's getting soggy. I'm like, what the heck? And then I said, why am I buying somebody else's sugar? I don't mind sugar in my cereal, but I want to put it in my own cereal. So I got some plain brand flakes, the, the, just the kind of nasty ones, the ones that are healthy for you. And then I decided to treat it like granola. And so I did like this oil and like a ginger syrup and cinnamon. I, I was tossing this on the cereal and I baked it and it was like freaking crispy. I loved it. Put malted milk. I'm like, I truly was pimping my cereal. Oh my I said, God. this is right. Yeah. I, that's the show. That's the thing that you haven't seen yet. That's been living in my head, but because work came along, I didn't get to do it, but truly that's the thing. I mean, General Mills needs to pay you all the money to consult on their cereal development because I would eat all of that. All of it. Yeah. It was so good. It was so delicious. And it stayed crispy. I could store it in uh, an airtight container. It was was really the bomb diggity. And in that process, I was thinking about many marshmallows. I was thinking about the dehydrated fruit, adding that to my milk, like, you know, the strawberry milk. What, girl? I had it planned, but it hasn't happened yet. But I, I'm talking about it in more detail now with you than I have with anybody else. You got to do it. This is a brilliant idea. Also, it's about to be like cold and freezing everywhere in the country. No one's leaving their house. Like this is this right. is the time. <laughs> yeah. And don't even get me started to talking about my oatmeal. I am an oatmeal fanatic. Are but, you? Okay, but, do you like oatmeal? I do love oatmeal, but I think it needs a lot of jazzing up. Right. Yeah. Pimp- my oatmeal. Honestly, okay? this it should be like an Insta series or a series on the Today Show or GMA or something. Like, like, can you imagine? I just want to wake up every Monday morning and watch you teach me how to pimp my oatmeal. And that way I can do it then and there for the rest of the week. And it doesn't get boring. Yes. yes. I like so this So one of the ways that I pimp it. <laughs> right. Thank, oh, my God. Thank you. Fruit juice instead of water. Half fruit juice, half water. You can do tart cherry, you can do apple, you can do blueberry, right? You can even do your own chocolate milk or your almond milk with chocolate, with almonds, with a little bit of almond uh, extract. Girl, you, there is so, I, I'm telling you, also, there is a whole world. Potential cookbook, like all the oatmeal, like all these different things that you just start your breakfast morning, your morning with and make so much more exciting. This is already a very productive podcast. <laughs> so talk, when did the podcast start? And tell me all about it. It just launched a couple weeks ago. It just launched on September 15th. And I have been thinking about doing a podcast for a while. And I've been working on this one probably for about six months. And as you know, it takes a minute to to really get authentically get your point of view, even for yourself, to understand why you're doing it, who's going to come on, what you're going to talk about. And so I really wanted to talk about my life of saying yes and coming from my mantra, which started from a six words of advice, which is say yes, adventure follows, then growth. And all of the things that I've said yes to, even though I was scared, even though I was uncomfortable and looking at the growth that happened, you know, afterwards. And, and that's what it's about. And I really wanted to explore 
with various people, when in your life did you become comfortable with the uncomfortable or you said yes to something that propelled you to the next wonderful step? Whoa, I love that. It's equal part inspiring and just probably reassuring for people to listen to those stories from people's of, people of all different walks of life, all different business backgrounds. That's an incredible concept. Yeah, and I and I think that we all have those moments and people, especially celebrities, when it feels like people think celebrities were born being a celebrity. <laughs> but there's this whole other life, you know, that that people don't think that they had the journey, the hard knocks, the highs and, and more lows than highs that they went through, which is why after all of that they kept going, which is why they're they have this platform. Right. So on the show, on your podcast, you're interviewing all these other people, but tell everyone listening here, what's one thing that you said yes to that was so terrifyingly scary to you and propelled you into a new realm? I mean, I said yes to the chew. Mm -hmm. Um, And it came about so quickly. And I remember, I remember getting the call saying, oh, we want to offer this to you. And I was like, oh my God, it's one thing to, to actually go out for it and sit for it and do a chemistry test. It's another thing to get the call, right? And the same thing with Top Chef. You get the call and then you're like, oh wait, I, I just wanted to have that experience of going through the thing so that see if you wanted me. Now that you know that you want me, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so saying yes to that, I remember looking at my husband and I was like, what should I do? Because it tapes in New York. We live in DC. And he was so supportive. And he said, I think you should do it. I talked to another friend who was very intuitive. I'm like, what does this mean? What does it mean? And she said, it is your job to go on that show and be yourself. And as much as quirky as I am, it really took me three years to fully settle into being myself on the chew which a lot of people didn't see, but it was incredibly hard for me. I really thought that I was going to get fired. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, you know, honestly, in my first apartment there, it was temporary. I wouldn't buy anything more than what fit in a car and then I could move out of that apartment in 60 minutes or less. Because I said, when I get fired, I can't afford New York. So I need to get on out, quick, fast, in a hurry. I mean, I was literally thinking like that for at least a year. And then when you got three years into it and you could settle into your own self and skin and all that on the show, how did that feel? It was incredible. I had so many moments on that show of feeling like, I mean, talk about waiting to exhale, of just feeling like, oh, I, I, I can do this and I'm here for a reason and I am adding to the mix, you know what I mean? Not slowing it down. And I, I remember a moment when I really let it sink in and, and I just cried. I was like, wow, I can't believe it. Cause there were so many times where the tears were tears of fear. And like, you're so tense thinking that you're going to be let go, that you actually can't do your job. That's the, the thing that we don't realize that when we're so tense, like when you're cold, when it's cold outside, like, oh my God, I'm so cold. And you're like shivering and you're, and you're so tight. You actually get colder because you don't allow the blood to flow. 
when you relax, the blood actually flows. So we do that to ourselves. And it, 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 it sounds like self-sabotage and I, and I totally get it. But when I could settle into it and actually have somebody say to me, you're doing a good job. And I needed that. I really needed those words of affirmation, even, I mean, it is my love language, but mine too. Is it? Oh, so you get me. Yeah. Wait, we have to come back to this, finish this story. And then I've, we're going other places. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, so, so that took a while, but when I could honestly settle into it and say, wait a minute, I'm adding something. And I was like, wow, look at this journey. And if I hadn't have said yes, and it propelled me and that helped me there. And it propelled me for what was after the two. Okay, so we have to talk about love languages for a second because they're so interesting to me. I had never heard about them until, I don't know, maybe a year or two into my marriage. And our neighbor told us about it. And we took the love language test and I am words of affirmation and acts of service. Do you have a mm-hmm. secondary? I think mine is probably acts of service too. And what's your husband? My husband is the opposite. He is the polar opposite of me. So he is uh, quality time and physical touch. <laughs> what my husband is. So, yes. so wait, so Bobby, when we first got married and I, and I'm used to being on my own and, uh, and he is so, he's such a tenderoni and such a wonderful man and, and so giving, and he's a cancer. So he's very nurturing. So is Thomas. And, shut up. What's your sign? I'm a Taurus. Okay, I'm a Gemini. God, that would have been really funny. I, I have a Gemini rising. Really? And so this is hysterical. That's why I'm in all these things. Have you done Enneagrams? I I haven't, but my best friend just texted me about this yesterday. So I think we need to do one soon. Interesting. Well, anyway, so Matthew, when when I've been working, I, I wasn't married until I didn't get married until I was 42. And so and I'm used to doing catering jobs and I don't know when I'm coming home. So he would say, when are you coming home? And I'm like, why are you checking up on me? But it was really about quality time. It was really about when are you coming home so I can be with you. I say words of affirmation. I'm affirming that what you're saying to me is that you're checking up on me. And I didn't get it. And it was just like two ships. Like, ah. Yep. Same here. It was so interesting. Once we took this test and I was like, oh, I understand how Thomas receives love and affection. Like I have to alter what I do for him and he has to be aware of it. Oh my God. I think that it's so interesting. There's so many books on this kind of stuff. I haven't even like scratched the surface, but I think it's wildly entertaining. It's, it's wildly entertaining, but it also lets you know that you don't gaslight yourself. You don't expect somebody else to be who you are. And that's what any of these things do. I interviewed. Gretchen Rubin, and she talks about, you know, she, she wrote the happiness project and she talks about the four personality types. It, it just gives you a language to understand yourself and, and be understanding of others. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is so important in today's world, especially because there's a lot of shit happening and people feel very off kilter a lot of the time. And we all just need to be a little bit more understanding of each other. So taking a hard left turn, just some fun questions that I like asking people. If you could go anywhere in the entire world for food, like to eat, where would you go? It can be somewhere you've been before or you've never been yet. I really want to go to Senegal. And there is, and and Pierre Thiem, who's a Senegalese chef, wrote this book, I mean, Senegal cookbook. 
And every picture, all of this food off the coast and Fonio and all of that. And I really want to go there. I think that African food, I think, is, is the next big thing. And I, and I hate to say Africa because it's a whole continent. It's like saying Asian food. But Senegalese and Nigerian and all of these foods, I feel like are going to be the next big thing. And so I would love to go there. I would love to see my cultural connection to sub-Saharan Africa. So that's where I want to go. Cool. Ooh, that sounds like a fun trip. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? These oh, are very ooh, hard, hard-hitting political oh questions, right? <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Okay, just one? I mean, you can pick more. All right. So my combo is pistachio and burgundy cherry. Ooh, burgundy cherry. Where's that from? I mean, it, that's they have that in a gelato. So it's that dark cherry. Oh, God, that mm-hmm. sounds delicious. But I also um, worked at Baskin Robbins. So I think they called it burgundy cherry there, too, back in the day. 31 flavors is my jam. My, my dad used to take me there after every tennis match. I was a mint chocolate chip girl. Love it. Love it. Oh my God. So basic of me. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Taylor Swift or Beyonce? Beyonce. I've been listening to Lion King every single morning as I get dressed for the last three weeks. And that's been our sort of our anthem album. So Pump up she's in dog. my head right now. Yeah. She's perfect. What is your most favorite food? Lemons. Anything lemon. I'm just saying lemons. Lemon, lemon, lemon. I love tart. I love a good puffer. Lemon. Like, will you eat just a lemon? Like, you know how some kids just like eat like slices of lemons and then like they make weird faces, but they love it. Yeah, I just did a lemon challenge and I and I was doing the, there was a lemon challenge at the Ronald McDonald house. And so they cut it open. And I ate it. Like, oh, my God, this is so good. And I I continue to eat it throughout the little video because I loved it. So <laughs> <laughs> at a restaurant, would you rather order a dessert or would you have another savory dish? Dessert. Harry Potter or Hunger Games? Ooh, oh, you are n- nasty. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I've got to say Hunger Games. Okay, fair. God, it's a good, it's so good. I mean, I love them all. So into I it. I think I'm you. We're married <laughs> to the same man. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is kind of crazy and I eerie. can't <laughs> wait to come. Next time we come to D.C., I, where are we going to go eat when we come to visit? Oh, my gosh. I think we're going to go. I'm, there's a ramen place that I want to take you to. It it escapes me, but we're going to have some ramen. The food scene in D.C. is, I mean, you tell me you've been there for, I've just been there a handful of times for book tour and stuff, but I just feel like it's exploded from when I was there 10 years ago as a kid to when I've been recently for work. Like it is next level amazing. It is next level amazing. We're going to get a vegan burger from Shook. We're going to have ramen. We're going to have really good Mexican, which is crazy in D.C., there's a place called Cielo Rojo where there's actually like it's West Coast Mexican food in Tacoma Park, walking distance from my house. So we're gonna go and have that. It is so, so into awful. it. Oh my god, I'm yeah. so I can't. DC is one of my favorite cities in the whole country. It's so special. Well, tell everybody where they can find you, your podcast, your book. Uh, we didn't even talk about your book. Your book's available everywhere books are sold. Yep, everywhere books are sold. That's Carla Hall Soul Food Every Day in Celebration. And that's my third one. The podcast is called Say Yes with Carla Hall. It's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. But you can also find it on the Wondery app at free. Instagram, Carla P. Hall, P for Patrice. And Twitter, Carla Hall. And Facebook, Chef Carla Hall. 
I'll put all the links in the show notes, guys, so you can have easy access to it. But Carla, thank you. I can't wait to hang out with you in real life. I know. I feel like we're going to be finishing each other's sentences. I'm so excited. And I just want to eat all the things. I cannot even (laughs) wait. You are the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gabby. Okay, bye. All right, guys, that's a wrap. How obsessed are we? Like, she's everything. All the links below that she mentioned are in the show notes. Go check her out. And I hope you guys have a phenomenal week. I'll see you guys later. Bye. All right. That's it for today's What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays. And if you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatsgobbycooking.com. See you guys very soon.